Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, back down under, where you know, I think we all know that the water goes down the drain in the opposite direction this week. My uh, companions and I discovered that the revolving doors in office buildings revolve in the opposite direction down here. Clockwise, it, it seems right. What about our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia? You may recall last week, the government of Saudi Arabia was placed on a UN blacklist for its involvement in the coalition that was killing civilians and children in this uh, ongoing war in Yemen that we know so much about. This week, Ban Ki-moon, head of the United Nations, Secretary General, said Saudi Arabia had exerted unacceptable undue pressure on the world body after being blacklisted for killing children in Yemen. Saudi Arabia, in fact, had, ha- had threatened to cut funding of UN programs in response to the blacklisting and suggested a fatwa, an Islamic legal opinion, could be placed on the world body. That was according to Reuters. And so, the UN announced on Monday of this week, it removed the coalition from its annual child rights blacklist, pending a joint review by the UN and the coalition headed by Saudi Arabia. That should be a very diligent investigation. No stone will be left. Ban Ki-moon described the decision to take Saudi Arabia off the blacklist as one of his most painful and difficult. His excuse, millions of other children likely would suffer if funding for UN programs was cut off. Quote, children already at risk in Palestine, South Sudan, Syria, Yemen, and so many other places would fall further into despair. It's unacceptable, he said, for member states to exert undue pressure, unquote. He did not specifically say the Saudis had threatened to cut off funding. The Saudi ambassador denied the threat. Quote, it's not in our style. It's not in our genes. I think he means with a G. You say style. Obviously, people think it's not in our culture to use threats and intimidation. We have the greatest respect for the United Nations institutions, said the ambassador, especially now. The UN said Jordan, the UAE, and Bangladesh also contacted Ban Ki-moon's office to protect the listing of the coalition, as did Egypt, Kuwait, and Qatar. Many of those countries are in the coalition that's bombing and killing children. One senior UN official described Ban Ki-moon's choice as between, quote, the plague and cholera. I'll take the plague for 600, Alex. Some 6,000 people, about half of them civilians, have been killed in Yemen since last March, according to the UN. The pro-government forces in Yemen and the Houthi rebels have been on the child rights blacklist for at least five years and are considered persistent perpetrators. Al-Qaeda is also on the blacklist. So please give to help them get off. Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia, they know how to get things done and undone. Hello, welcome to the show. A diamond necklace played the pawn Hand in hand, sun drums along Back to the opera class, you see the pit in the pendulum. Call him, 
Surf's up in Brisbane, where this show originates. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. Once I had a secret that lived within the heart of me. All too soon, my secret became impatient to be free. Secrets, no secrets anymore. Well, a secret from the State Department. A document with a startling statement by the CIA General Counsel from the Carter administration on the role of the Espionage Act. This was a World War I era law. 
It was used to imprison Eugene Debs, a socialist candidate for the presidency of the United States in the teens of the 20th century. It was rarely invoked for most of a century. The Obama administration revived it to attack whistleblowers who provided official documents to the press. The Obama administration invoked the leak provisions of the Espionage Act seven times more than all the administrations of the U.S. previously combined. Among those prosecuted under the act are Edward Snowden, Chelsea Manning, and Thomas Drake. That's why this memo just released is so surprising. General Counsel Anthony Lapham, Lapham, of the CIA says very clearly the Espionage Act shouldn't be used in cases of leaks of classified information to the press because it won't work and because the act wasn't, quote, intended to have application in such situations. It's extremely doubtful, he said, that the provisions of the Espionage Act were intended to have application in such situations. And as a matter of historical fact, leaving aside the unsuccessful Ellsberg prosecution over the Pentagon Papers, they never have been so applied. Moreover, he added, under current Justice Department procedures, unauthorized disclosures of national security information in other than espionage situations are almost never even investigated, let alone prosecuted. It seems to us that the universe of classified information is quite simply too large and encompasses such a great variety of material of so many different degrees of importance to the national security as to make impractical the idea of extending criminal sanctions to the unauthorized disclosure of all such information, he wrote in 1977. But this is a different time, and we're not looking backward. I don't know where we're looking. And now, the apologies of the week. Musician Beth Orton, who recently came under fire for releasing a music video during which she spray-painted a Joshua tree and a Choya cactus located on private property in Joshua Tree near the National Monument in the east of Southern California. She has personally reached out to the Mojave Desert Land Trust to express her, quote, extreme regret for this incident and her desire to work with us in an effort to educate others about the need to steward, protect, and respect the desert, according to a new news release issued by the Land Trust. In addition to reaching out to the Trust, Orton also released an official statement of her own. Why, it's a banquet of statements. She expressed regret and a desire to move forward in a way that leads to more education. I've learned, she said that in her statement, that it doesn't always take malice to be destructive. It's vital to stay awake to the environment and give it the care it deserves. I'm profoundly sorry for my lapse in judgment that afternoon. I have been humbled, and I want to share what I'm learning and hope it might stop others from acting from a place of ignorance as I did in their music bit. No, she didn't say that. The Anglican Bishop of Grafton, New South Wales, Australia, is about to deliver an apology to a woman whose 40-year saga of sexual abuse at the hands of defrocked Bishop Donald Shearman. That's going to happen. Uh, Actually, it's happening right now. Bishop Sarah McNeil is delivering her an apology to 76-year-old Beth Heinrich whose story of sexual abuse over 40 years at the hands of Shearman has been extensively documented in many newspaper articles. I think it's very brave of Bishop Sarah to be willing to apologize to me now, and I'm very grateful for it too, said Miss Heinrich. In December 1995, I had to go to Brisbane, right here, to the diocese where Shearman lived, and it was Peter Hollingsworth who started it all off. All I wanted him to do was stop Shearman from preaching. He had retired prior to that, but he was doing what they call locums and still had a permission to officiate. He didn't do it. 
Archbishop Hollingworth's attitude at the time frightened her. Sherman's former dean, now the Bishop of Bathurst, says he had been taken in by Sherman but came to completely believe Heinrich's story. I asked them both Jack Blunt questions. He said, I'm satisfied Beth Heinrich's story is accurate. Sherman is now living in Queensland, near where this broadcast is originating, ironically at a place called Deception Bay. An all-female independent Ohio band has been dropped from a New York music festival and other venues after its drummer wrote a character letter supporting the former Stanford University swimmer convicted of sexually assaulting an unconscious woman. Leslie Rasmussen's letter to the court described Brock Turner as respectful and caring. She said she'd known him since elementary school. Her letter was published by New York Magazine. It attracted such anger online, the band deleted its Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Her punk rock band was dropped from festivals in Brooklyn. On Tuesday, Rasmussen, 20 years old, apologized on her Facebook page. She wrote, She understood why people would misconstrue my ideas into a distortion that suggests I sympathize with sex offenses and those who commit them, or that I blame the victim involved. Nothing could be further from the truth, and I apologize for anything my statement has done to suggest I don't feel enormous sympathy for the victim and her suffering, she said. But, you know, a drummer. Other, others who wrote letters of support for Turner have apologized. Kelly Owen, a guidance counselor at Oakwood High School, where Turner attended, told the court her former student was absolutely undeserving of the outcome of the jury trial that resulted in his conviction of three felony counts of sexual assault. Now she writes, regrets writing the letter to the judge and acknowledged it was a mistake, according to a prepared statement by her school district. Her superintendent quotes Owens as saying, I'm truly sorry for the additional pain my letter has caused. The superintendent declined to comment or to make Owens available for an interview. And you do know Turner's father in his letter to the court about the horrible effect the trial has had upon his son. He said he can't even eat ribeye steaks anymore. Instagram has apologized for... True story. Instagram has apologized for deleting pictures of Singaporean Indian blogger R.T. Olivia Dubé in a bikini after she conducted a two-week protest. In its apology, Instagram claimed to have removed the picture accidentally. The plus-size blogger who describes herself as a, quote, fat brown feminist with a penchant for fashion was furious when Instagram removed a picture of her and two other plus-size models from a bikini shoot on May 21st. On June 1st, Doobie shared the official apology from Instagram on her account with another note. It's almost two weeks, so I accept your apology, Instagram, but it does not change a thing. You are answerable to all of my plus-size friends for removing their images or accounts on Instagram or Facebook, she wrote. A social media firestorm could get an alderman removed from office in Rockaway Beach, Missouri. They have a Rockaway Beach. Alderman Tom Borchert put up some posts on Facebook. One showed a picture of President Obama in which he says ugly things about the president. Another of an African-American lawmaker says, quote, this woman's just as stupid as most people of color are, unquote. Borchardt said he was interpreted incorrectly and he apologizes. Those damn interpreters. Dateline Oxford, Mississippi. I, athletic director Ross Bjork has apologized for an incident that occurred before Ole Miss played Tulane in a regional game last week. The... Uh, Tulane baseball Twitter account shared a photo of a baseball it said had been thrown at the team during batting practice. It said, 
I took my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was gone inscribed on it, as well as Katrina 06. The ball incident was unacceptable on all levels and is not who we are, said the Chancellor of the University of Mississippi. Who are we? Dayline Lansing, the board of directors of the Lansing Ear, uh, Ear Crisis Intervention Center, has issued an apology to its community. The nonprofit came under fire after it was discovered some of its volunteers were actually registered sex offenders. The listening ear has dismissed those volunteers and adopted a new policy to run background checks on current and future volunteers and workers. What a good idea. The board of directors apologized to the community for the anger and loss of trust. A restaurant whose owner has been jailed for the manslaughter of a customer has sent an email to customers entitled Our Apology. This is in uh, York, East uh, North Yorkshire. Mohammed Zaman was jailed for six years last month for the manslaughter of a man who died of a nut allergy after eating a takeaway from the Indian restaurant. He had a lifelong allergy to nuts, had the 38-year-old, and requested a nut-free curry, but was given a chicken tikka masala containing ground nut powder. He died of anaphylactic shock moments after eating it. The email apologizes for, quote, heavy press and calls the owner a six-year jail sentence over the death, quote, somewhat disappointing. It then goes on to promote the restaurant's new Saturday special desserts. Suzuki Motor Company said its chief executive and chairman, Osamu Suzuki, there is a Mr. Suzuki at Suzuki, will step down as CEO. This came after the automaker revealed its use of improper mileage testing methods last month. He apologized once again for the trouble we caused, he said. Executive Vice President Osamu Honda is also set, set to step down. Yes, there was a Honda at Suzuki. And the non-apology of the week, ladies and gentlemen, according to Republican, former Republican presidential candidate Ben Carson, Donald Trump has said privately that attacking Mexican-American Judge Curiel for his heritage was a mistake. Carson told Politico he heard Trump make the remark during a private meeting at Trump Tower. Quote, he fully recognizes that that was not the right thing to say, said Carson, continuing the quote. He was probably talking out loud rather than thinking. That's not a good thing to do when everything you say is going to be analyzed, he said. The non-apology of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a newly copyrighted feature of this broadcast. traveled, I have wandered, pondered on the cruelty that I see all around, so much heartache, so much sadness, loving some forgiveness when you put the baton down, Arian, why don't you wake up, wake up, why don't you visit all? Why don't you rise up, rise up, tear down that wall? Ariel, I feel your prison. Don't complain, well, that's the wisdom. So the cycle goes around. Just accept it's what you're used to. That smile on, cause it's sure to pull you through. Hey. 
Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Well, how are things going in Rio? Brazil's federal police have raided the offices of the second largest Olympics complex in the city, clouding the run up to the mega event. Its chief advocate will face investigation in a separate case. Authorities executed a search and seizure warrant at the headquarters of the Deodoro Sports Complex's northern section, which was built by uh, two companies after investigations signaled fraud, according to police. Deodoro, the first Olympic venue to face fraud allegations, will host events including slalom, canoe, rugby, equestrian competitions, and the pentathlon. The Comptroller General's office found overbilling, falsification of receipts, and the hiring of a shell company, not the shell company, to simulate transport and disposal of material required for works, according to the Oversight and Transparency Agency. The consortium of the two builders said higher costs were justified. This raid is the latest setback for Eduardo Pais, who'd been the face of the Summer Olympics, part of the coastal bike path, Rio City Hall, built ahead of the Games, collapsed into the ocean, you may recall, in April. And a light rail tram Pius inaugurated just a week ago experienced an electrical failure on its first day in action. Meanwhile, scientists have found dangerous drug-resistant superbacteria off beaches in Rio. The findings from two unpublished academic studies seen by Reuters concern Rio's most popular spots for tourists, greatly increasing the area known to be infected by the microbes, normally only found in hospitals. They heightened concern that Rio's sewage-infested waterways are unsafe. The study published a couple years ago had shown the presence of the superbacteria, classified by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control as an urgent public health threat off one of the beaches in Guanabara Bay. The first of the new, scientists, uh, the new studies reviewed in September by scientists 
at a conference in San Diego showed the presence of microbes at five of Rio's beaches, including Ipanema, look out girl. The super bacteria can cause hard-to-treat urinary, gastrointestinal, pulmonary, and bloodstream infections, along with meningitis. Don't forget your meningitis. The CDC says studies that show these bacteria contribute to death in up to half of patients infected. The second new study by the Brazilian federal government's own lab, published next month by the American Society for Microbiology, found the genes of superbacteria in the lagoon in the heart of Rio and in a river that ent- empties into Guanabaro Bay. Water from countless hospitals, in addition to hundreds of thousands of households, pours into the bay, allowing the superbacteria to spread outside the city's hospitals in recent years. The contamination of Rio's famous beaches was the result of a lack of basic sanitation, according to a professor at Rio's Federal University leader of the first study. Cleaning the waterways was meant to be one of the game's great legacies and a high-profile promise in the official bid document Rio used to win the right to host the games. That goal has instead transformed into an embarrassing failure. While the studies both use water samples from 2013 and 2014, Experts said they had seen no advances in sewage infrastructure in Rio to improve the situation. Said Valerie Harwood, an expert in water contamination at the University of South Florida, who was not involved in the studies. If anything, things are getting worse as the superbacteria naturally spread by infecting other microbes. Not counting the microbes attending the Olympics. It's a movement, and we all need one. Every day... By the way, just a legal note, the contamination prompted federal police and prosecutors to investigate whether the water utility in Rio de Janeiro, Sedei, is committing environmental crimes by lying about how much sewage it treats. Investigators are also looking into where billions of dollars in funds have gone since the early 1990s, money that was supposed to have been spent to improve sewage services. Sedei has denied any wrongdoing. It says the superbacteria must be the result of illegal dumping. If you're wondering, Reuters contacted five scientists who said the immediate risks to people's health when faced with superbacteria depends on the state of their immune systems. Feed your immune system now. And now, news of the godly. More news of the godly, I should say. French police have questioned the Roman Catholic Archbishop of Lyon for over 10 hours in an inquiry into the activities of a pedophile priest in the early 1990s and why those activities were not reported to the authorities. Cardinal Philippe Barbarin, who was denied covering up the activities of Father Bernard Preynat, P-R-E-Y-N-A-T, you could say Preynat, but we won't, he's French, was questioned as a witness by officers of the Child and Family Protection Brigade at a police station. Several victims of alleged pedophile abuse had filed complaints against the prelate who holds the honorific title of Primate of the Gauls for failing to report the incidents to the justice authorities and leaving the accused priest in place. Speaking of Gaul, Prana was placed under judicial investigation at the beginning of this year for alleged sexual abuse of Catholic Boy Scouts in 1991 and released on bail. His lawyer said he admitted the facts of sexual abuse on minors under 15 years old to an investigating ma- magistrate. 
Barbarin, the uh, prelate, has denied any wrongdoing. He acknowledged errors in the management and appointment of some priests in a statement issued last month. News of the Godly, copyrighted feature of this broadcast, Pray Na. From Brisbane, Australia, this is Le Show, and now... He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or maybe not. The Air Force announced this week it has lost thousands of records. This is the U.S. Air Force. The big one. Uh, it has lost thousands of records belonging to the service's inspector general due to a database crash. Quote, we estimate we've lost information for 100,000 cases dating back uh, 12 years, according to the Air Force spokeswoman. The database crash, there is no data, said the spokeswoman. At this time, we don't have any evidence of malicious intent. Well, that's probably among the data that isn't. The database holds all records relating to Inspector General Complaints, Investigations, Appeals, and Freedom of Information Act requests. 
The Air Force said it was notified by a contractor that administers the database that the data within was corrupted. It's a term of art, not a Brazilian reference. The Air Force has launched an investigation to determine the cause of the crash and is aggressively trying to recover the lost data and determine the severity of the loss. Try backing up your data, Air Force. You know, get a little, get a little thumb drive. Earlier this year, the State Department's Inspector General issued a report criticizing that agency's handling of open records requests for documents from the Office of the Secretary. Searches of emails do not consistently meet statutory and regulatory requirements for completeness and rarely meet requirements for timeliness, according to the Inspector General of the State Department, which is now saying, in response to a Freedom of Information Act request, it will not release Hillary Clinton's emails related to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the proposed Trans-Pacific Partnership, until after the election in November. It originally said the request would be completed by April of this year. Last week, the agency said it had completed the search process, but also said it was delaying the completion until after the election. Nutty coincidence, department. And federal health officials failed to force a recall of peanut butter and almond products for three months after advanced DNA testing confirmed salmonella contamination. You remember Sal. He was in the mafia for a while. That's according to government investigators this week. Despite new legal powers to compel recalls and sophisticated technology to fingerprint pathogens, the Food and Drug Administration allowed some food safety investigations to drag on placing consumers in jeopardy of death or serious illness, according to the Inspector General's office at the Department of Health and Human Services. In an unusual urgent warning called an early alert, the internal watchdog said the FDA needs to pay immediate attention to the problem and follow clear procedures to get manufacturers to promptly recall tainted foods. Quote, months and weeks when people's lives are on the line, it needs to be done faster, says the lead investigator. Responding to the findings, the FDA's top food safety official said the cases singled out were outliers, a very selective sample in which recalls did not proceed quickly and efficiently in a matter of days. The FDA traditionally has relied on voluntary recalls to remove tainted products from the market, saying that's the fastest way, but a law about five years ago gave the FDA the power to order recalls in cases that have the potential for serious harm. And the government has rolled out whole genome sequencing, that's precise mapping of DNA, to link bugs from people who get sick with samples from products. Didn't seem to make that much difference in the two cases examined by the Inspector General. One involved peanut butter and almond products. The second involved various cheese products. I won't tell you this all went as fast as we would like it to go, said uh, an official regarding the first case. At least uh, nine people were sickened in six states regarding the cheese products. The FDA inspected the marketing operation of the cheese company twice during 81 days, found listeria both times. Listeria is the disease, not the, uh, not the mouthwash. In Congress, a leading backer of food safety legislation called the Inspector General's findings mind-boggling. Of course, it's easy to boggle a congressman's mind. The news of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen, is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And speaking of easily boggled minds, we now turn to the uh, case of South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham. You may remember he had a uh, 
somewhat abortive run in the uh, Republican presidential primary, pulling out fairly quickly. Um, a, a vituperative critic at that time of Donald Trump. He called him, among other things, a jackass. I just don't think Donald Trump is a reliable conservative Republican. And quite frankly, he lost me when he said my friend John McCain was a loser because he was captured as a POW. He lost me when he accused George W. Bush of lying to the American people about the Iraq war. Uh, and he thinks Putin's a good guy. So I just can't go there. Uh, and I just really believe that the Republican Party has been conned here. And this guy is not a reliable conservative Republican. But then, you know, Time passes. Things happen. There was a uh, meeting in May, late May. According to uh, CNN, Graham spoke with Trump and they had, quote, a good conversation. I must say he reached out and I was glad to talk to him. And um, within days, Graham reportedly urged donors at a private GOP fundraiser in Florida to unite behind Trump to keep the Republican Party intact and to keep Hillary Clinton out of the White House. He did say that we need to get behind Trump, said uh, one of the delegates. Although he had no plans to formally and publicly endorse Trump. Graham told CNN Trump asked really good questions during their conversation. And then there was this week and Donald Trump's attacks on the uh, judge in the Trump University case for uh, being of Mexican descent and therefore being biased against him. Graham said this was an off-ramp, a useful off-ramp for people to unendorse Trump. He called uh, Trump's criticism of the judge the most un-American thing from a politician since Joe McCarthy. There'll come a time, said Lindsey Graham, when the love of country will trump hatred of Hillary, unquote. As a lifelong bachelor, I found it hard to choose. One choice in particular has given me the white man's blues. running then left me at the gate I was toughest of the hawks he was strong on hate held out from supporting him until it was too late for a day or so he started being presidential too soon he reverted and revoked his own credential I'm souring faster than a bowl of goat milk curds. He's supposed to change, but it's me that's eating his words. We met discreetly, and he told me to get bent. That got me singing. Lindsay's lament.
endorsed him after agonizing weeks. Letting my supporters know through deftly managed leaks. Biting not just my tongue, but my lips and cheeks. He read a speech off prompter and held himself in check. I thought I saw glimmers of something less than a train wreck. But a judge aroused him, he went off on the attack. Now my 180's a 360, my flip-flops flipping back. The party's now a circus, not a bigger tent. That's got Miss Singing, Lindsay's Lament.
One more note about Donald Trump this week. You may recall, certainly the Internet recalls, this moment in one of the early Republican primary debates in which he invaded against the money-raising system of our politics today and what candidates do to get the money. And you said recently, quote, when you give, they do whatever the hell you want them to do. You better believe it. So what specifically did they do? If I ask them, if I need them, I give to many people. Before this, before two months ago, I was a businessman. I give to everybody. When they call, I give. And you know what? When I need something from them, two years later, three years later, I call them. They are there for me. So and that's get? a broken system. So what did you get from Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi? Well, I'll tell you what. With Hillary Clinton, I said, be at my wedding, and she came to my wedding. You know why? She had no choice because I gave. So this week we learned that Florida's Attorney General, Pam Bondi, personally solicited a political contribution from Trump around the same time her office was deliberating whether or not to join an investigation of Trump University. This according to the Associated Press. The money came from a Trump family foundation in apparent violation of rules surrounding political activities by charities. A political group backing the re-election of the Attorney General reported receiving the check four days after Bondi's office publicly announced she was considering joining the New York State Attorney General's probe of Trump University. After the check came in, Bondi's office decided not to join the lawsuit, citing insufficient grounds to proceed. Bondi has declined repeated requests for an interview. The AP's quote of uh, Trump's boast at a different event When I want something, I get it. When I call, they kiss my A dot dot. It's true, he says. And the AP also found a lot more people who were dissatisfied with uh, Trump University. A new reservoir, they say, of unhappy Trump University customers, despite the claims that the students of the company were overwhelmingly satisfied. More than 20 people requested help from the Florida Attorney General's office in obtaining refunds from Trump University. Bondi's predecessor received numerous other complaints about the company that Trump partnered with to start the so-called university. Many of the Trump-related consumers alleged they paid money for training materials and personalized instruction, which were never delivered. But the check was... Now news of our friend the Atom... And the Adam did not make the trip to uh, Australia. He was afraid of spinning in the opposite direction. An unknown number of current and former workers at the Hanford plant, which made plutonium for our weapons, the U.S. weapons, during the time we like to make weapons, but uh, is now trying to clean up. These workers are suffering debilitating health effects because of a decades-old problem of chemical vapors venting from the underground nuclear waste tanks at the former plutonium production facility. Since April, 58 workers, a record number, have suspected they've been exposed to vapors. Some are still too sick to return to work, mostly due to breathing problems. uh, The findings by doctors that workers are 
sick as a result of exposure to chemical vapors, but top managers from the U.S. Department of Energy, which runs Hanford, and its contractor in charge, Washington River Protection Solutions, report their testing of the airspace always shows very small amounts of chemical concentrations. This has been the message from management to the workforce for decades at Hanford, according to television station KING in Seattle. Records by obtained by the station show dozens of readings over the years with measurements far above acceptable levels. Most particularly lethal is dimethylmercury, so toxic there are no safe amounts tolerated in the state of Washington. So if you want your dimethylmercury, head for Oregon. A college chemistry professor in 1997 died 10 months after two drops of dimethylmercury fell onto her gloved hand. It's probably one of the most insidious, most dangerous compounds that could be in the breathing environment anywhere, says an engineer who is a Hanford expert, Dr. Marco Kaltofen. It has been detected at Hanford. And uh, the new contractor is monitoring for dimethylmercury, not for concentrations harmful to the workforce, but for a set of standards per the Clean Air Act. Also of nuclear interest, parts of the Sizewell B nuclear power station in Britain were being made at a French plant being investigated over possible fake manufacturing records, according to EDF Energy. And deep underground on a lush green island, Finland is preparing to bury its highly radioactive nuclear waste for 100,000 years, sealing it up and maybe even throwing away the key. The tiny island off Finland's west coast, which I can't pronounce, will become home to the world's costliest and longest-lasting burial ground, a network of tunnels called Onkalo, Finnish for the hollow. Not because it rhymes. Countries have been wrestling with what to do, of course, with nuclear waste since the first plants were built in the 50s. Most nations now keep the waste above ground in temporary facilities. Onkalo is the first attempt to bury it for good. This has required all sorts of new know-how, says the chief geologist at the nuclear waste managing company Posiva, which is developing the site. The waste is expected to have lost most of its radioactivity after a few hundred years, but engineers are planning for 100,000 just to be on the safe side. Spent nuclear rods will be placed in iron casts, then sealed into thick copper canisters, lowered into the tunnels. It's a network of tunnels. Each capsule will be surrounded with a buffer made of bentonite, a type of clay that will protect them from any shuddering in the surrounding rock and help stop water from seeping in. The method was developed in Sweden, where a similar project is underway. The company insists it is safe. Opponents of nuclear power have raised concern about potential radioactive leaks. 100,000 years ago, Finland was partly covered by ice. Neanderthal people were roaming Europe. Geologists cannot rule out another ice age. Finland isn't particularly prone to seismic activities. But the main issue is ensuring that the tunnels are backfilled, then sealed with huge iron and concrete plugs, making them completely inaccessible to curious onlookers or anyone seeking to make off with the waste. For this reason, Posiva is mulling the old question of whether to landscape the site as if there were nothing there. History shows that warnings often have the opposite effect, 
such as the Pharaoh's tombs. And on a related subject, you, you may know that Britain is preparing to build its first nuclear plant in a long time uh, under a deal which would promise the plant that British rate uh, British customers would be paying highly subsidized rates for the electricity produced by the plant decades into the future. Meanwhile, the solar power industry in Britain, according to The Guardian, says it has seen the loss of more than half of its 35,000 jobs due to reduced government subsidies for solar, just at a time when solar power has eclipsed coal as a generator of Britain's electricity. The government says it has a duty to balance jobs with household bills. Our priority is to keep energy bills as low as possible while supporting low-carbon technologies, says a spokesman for the Department of Energy and Climate Change. The cost of solar has steadily declined over the last 10 years, and it is right that as this comes down, so should the subsidy. Not apparently true of the nuclear power to be produced at the new Hinkley Point plant in Britain. The oil group BP in its annual statistical review published this week reported global CO2 emissions showed no growth in 2015 for the first time in 10 years. Portugal is running its entire electricity network, it did for four days in May, entirely on solar, wind, and hydropower. The cutbacks in subsidies in Britain have been dramatic and quick, says a professor of energy and climate change policy at the University College in London. So renewable energy Enthusiasts, go subsidize yourselves. Gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR Worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of the North American continent via the shortwave giant WBCQ, The Planet, on the Mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London, around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived, whenever you want it, harryshearer.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast through SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and WWNO.org. And it'll be just like the revolving door going around the right way. 
if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts before they shrink, all at harryshearer.com. And me? I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from Brisbane, Australia. Good day, mate.